went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, JP is on, well, not vacation, I was going to say that. He's in Texas visiting family for Thanksgiving. And so if you are here uh, today visiting with us, welcome. We are glad that you're here. I am not normally up here, uh, but I have the privilege this morning to uh, speak on the Word of God this morning. So before we jump in to our text this morning, uh, which is... Sounds more like an Easter text than a right before Thanksgiving text, but uh, that's where we are in our series, and so we're going to jump into it this morning. But let's pray, uh, and then we will uh, see what the Lord has for us in His Word. Father, we come before you this morning and just want to pause and give thanks. Give thanks as we are entering into Thanksgiving, and then after that, Christmas, where we have designated a time to where we think about and reflect upon and rejoice in the birth of our Lord and Savior when he from eternity past y'all had a plan that he would come that we take on flesh that he would be born in a manger that he would do for us what we cannot do for ourselves by his life death and resurrection and Lord as we come to this text this morning a text that speaks about resurrection Sunday Easter Sunday And the glory of the resurrection, I pray that it does not just fall on, well, we've heard this before. I pray that you would this morning give us eyes to see and ears to hear. That we might see the magnitude of this event. And how this event changed not only the disciples' life, but the course in the events of the world. And how necessary this resurrection was. And so help us to see that this morning. And we pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. There are certain events in history, uh, in our lifetime that we see, that we experience, that we hear about that change everything for us. 
There are certain things in my life, certain news stories that have come about that I can vividly remember where I was, what I was doing, what was going on, what the situation was, uh, even some what I was wearing at the time I heard of the event. For most of us here that are a little bit older, we remember 9-11. And when you hear 9-11, for most of us, we, we can recall where we were, what we were doing, what was going on, the emotions that we were feeling at the time. It is as vivid today as it was at the time when you think about 9-11. I remember when that happened. I was in my first semester in seminary. I was getting ready to go to my systematic theology class. I was sitting down that morning. I was having breakfast. I had the news on. Uh, I was finishing up and ready to go, and all of a sudden the news broke. The news broke, and you see the airline fly into the towers, and all of a sudden, everything you knew changed. What you thought was impossible, you're seeing it unfold right before you. It was a news that when that news broke, it changed the, it changed the world. It changed the course of how things were. They were no longer that way. It forever changed and shaped the world as we know it. And we can remember that moment uh, when that happened. Suddenly, the news comes in, and what you thought you knew, you no longer knew. It was totally different in sh- uh, shaping of your life. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus is that kind of news. It is the kind of news that alters and changes everything. All historians, all of them agree that this event altered and changed the course of human history. Now, not all of all hum, not all historians actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but they all agree that this event is the single most impactful and important event in all of history. That there is no person in history that has had more impact than Jesus, and there is no single event that has altered the course of human history than the resurrection. It is the center point of human history. There was the world before Jesus. There is the world after Jesus. And what is in between that is the resurrection of Jesus. It is the hinge point of human history. Why? Why is that? Because it is both a real event and a powerful event. It is both an historical event and it is personally transformative. The resurrection, that event, changes everything. And so that is what I want to focus on this morning. And really what I want to do as we think about our text this morning is ask two questions. Why can we believe the resurrection? And why should we want to believe the resurrection? So let's start off thinking, first of all, by why can we believe in the resurrection? We can believe in the resurrection because it is, what I've said, an historical event. Follow with me, looking back in Luke chapter 23. Uh, this is after Jesus is crucified and he is being buried. And it says, now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, the Sanhedrin, the the group of people who basically got Jesus crucified. He was a good man, it says, and a righteous man who did not consent to their decision and their actions. And one of the other gospel writers said that he was a disciple of Jesus, though secretly because of fear of the Jews. 
And so he was looking for the kingdom of God. And so this man went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down. And one other gospel writer said that, that Nicodemus was with him. But he took down the body of Jesus, he wrapped it in linen shroud, and he laid it in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. We know from other gospel writers that this man was a very wealthy man and the tomb that, Jesus, that he laid Jesus in was his own tomb that had been cut and hewn out of rock. And so it goes on and it says, it was the day of preparation, meaning it was, it was Friday and Sabbath was beginning to start and Sabbath started at sundown on Friday. So Jesus was crucified. They had to get him down off the cross and they had to get him into the tomb and buried before the sun went down because Sabbath was starting and they couldn't do that at that point in time. And so it was at that time. And so, and then it goes on and Luke writes and the, and the women who had come with him, with Jesus from Galilee, they followed and they saw the tomb where they had laid his body. Then they returned and they prepared spices and ointments because they didn't have time to do these things prior to. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. And then in verse chapter 24, but on the first day of the week, on Sunday, early dawn, as the sun was coming up right before that, they went to the tomb. These women went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they had found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not see the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stooped or stood in dazzling apparel. And they were frightened and they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. If you read Luke's account here, and if you read the other gospel writer's account, you can tell that this was an historical event. There are details, there are dates and times and, and details about the situation that was going on that, that as they were writing this, the eyewitnesses were recalling these events as they were pinning them down, much like you could do uh, as you think about 9-11. It was oddly specific. You have this idea of, of the women being the first ones to discover the, the tomb. They had followed the, the Joseph and, and, uh, and Nicodemus as they were going to the tomb. They followed behind. They knew where the tomb was. They went home. They were preparing his spices to, for burial, proper burial. They went back. They knew where the tomb was. And they were the first ones to discover the tomb. And then they go back, they see the tomb, they, Jesus is not there, they don't know what's going on, they think maybe somebody has stolen the body, they don't know what's going on, so they go back and they begin to tell the disciples that Jesus is not there, that the body is gone, that the tomb is empty, and they're just dismissed at hand. That no, this is an idle tale. There's no way that this has happened. The tomb had been sealed. They had put guards in front of the tomb. Jesus was dead. There's no way that this happened. You're just imagining things. You're hallucinating. This didn't really take place. But Peter, it says, got up and he began to run to the tomb. John's gospel is kind of funny because John's writing his gospel and it says Peter and the one whom Jesus loved, meaning himself, ran to the tomb, but John outran Peter. I think he did that uh, just to goat Peter for all of eternity, that he was faster than Peter to the tomb. I don't know, but Peter run, in, in Luke's account, Peter runs to the tomb, he stoops in, he looks inside, he doesn't see the body, but the linen cloths are laid there in the tomb. 
The other gospels talk about how they're laid and folded nice and neat, but the face, the cloth that covered the face is laid at one side. The other burial shroud is laid at the other side. It's folded nice and neat. What they're saying is this wasn't grave robbers because grave robbers don't come in and fold the, the death cloth nice and neat and sit, seat them in certain places that, that there was something more going on here. The body wasn't stolen is basically what they're saying. So Peter looks in, the tomb is empty. He marvels at this. He does really know what's going on and the bible says that he went away and we also see in the text these various emotions that the that that the gospel writers talk about they were perplexed they were frightened they were confused they were marveled marveling at what was going on and what was taking place they did not understand this was a historical event and there were eyewitnesses account as to what was going on and so you see this although it was Seemingly impossible, something had happened, and what had happened began to change not only the disciples' lives, but the course of history. These were real people who had real stories, and they had real lives, and they had real doubts. But when Jesus revealed himself to them, those doubts fled away, and faith entered in. You see, it was these eyewitnesses of the empty tomb who became the first believers of the resurrected Christ. They became convinced that Jesus actually rose from the dead, that he was alive, that he was no longer in the grave, and this turned the world upside down. It became to them more than just facts and more than just information. It became a heart-melting and life-transforming experience for the disciples. And where did they go? They went right into the heart of the lion's den. The gospel writers tell us that they began to preach the resurrection in the same city that Jesus was crucified, buried in the grave. They didn't go to some distant land to where nobody had heard about Jesus, where they could safely preach this myth that Jesus rose from the dead and nobody would know any any better. They went right into the heart of the city, right into the midst of the Jewish council, right into the midst of the Roman uh, Empire who crucified and killed Jesus, and they began to preach the resurrection of the dead. And if Jesus had not raised, and if the tomb was not empty, people could just go and they could verify that and they could prove it because there's still a dead body in the grave. But they could not do it because the grave was empty and Jesus had risen from the grave. And so it's it's not only is it a historical event, but we have mountains of evidence. And one of those is that the disciples who were hiding are now boldly proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ right in the very city at the very place that Jesus himself was crucified and buried. And all of this is good news. Because the, cru- the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus is as tangible and as real as the Thanksgiving dinner that we will all get to eat here in the next few days. When we put on, as Joey from Friends says, his turkey-eating pants so that we can overstuff our plates and eat more than we should and be stuffed and filled to the brim with great food. It's very real. We will, we will, it's not an imagination. We will partake and we will enjoy that. But not only is it as real as Thanksgiving dinner, but it is as delicious as well, spiritually think, uh, speaking. It's as tasty and as sweet and as filling 
as Thanksgiving dinner and the disciples were feasting on this good news that Jesus has risen from the dead. You see, the resurrection was and is the power of the gospel. It is the message that the disciples were proclaiming. It's the message that we proclaim. It was the event that took this group of nobodies and compelled them to turn the world upside down. Without the resurrection of Jesus, the Christianity, the gospel makes no sense. The Apostle Paul, in fact, says that. If Christ had not been raised, then we of all people are to be laughed at because we've been duped. We believe something that was a lie. And so we see that take place in the life of these disciples. Their lives were changed. So we can believe in the resurrection because it is a historical event. The lives were changed and lives continue to be changed because of this reality. And the facts became power in this moment. And the truth that Jesus rose from the dead became this beautiful work within them. And the resurrection changed everything. But secondly, we can believe in the reality of the resurrection because it was uniquely Jesus's idea. Look with me in Luke chapter 24 again. Look at verse 6 through 8. And it says that the women here were frightened and they bowed their faces to the ground and the men said, the angel said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you. While he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise. And then look at verse 8. And they remembered his words. Jesus himself predicted his resurrection. The disciples were not making this story up. They were simply remembering what Jesus had told them and they began to connect the dots. And even this in itself was not in their own power or their own influence because Jesus told them a few days later in the upper room that the Holy Spirit, the Father would send the Holy Spirit, another helper who would remind them of all that he had told them. And this remembrance was coming to their heart and to their mind. And if you've been with us at all for the last year and a half, we've been walking through uh, the, the, the four Gospels, looking at Jesus' life and ministry in this chronological way with all four Gospels. And one thing is abundantly clear is that Jesus and what he says and what he does and who he is is absolutely and utterly trustworthy. His vision for human flourishing, his care for those who are marginalized, his advocacy for the, for the weak, his love for those who are struggling and for sinners and his teaching on generosity and on, on hospitality and mercy, his welcoming of those who are outsiders, his rebuke of the religious hypocrisy, his challenge to the self-righteous, uh, self-righteously arrogant and the political posturing that was taking place and the self-serving materialism, his rebuke to all of these things. It is this same Jesus who taught all of these things and lived this countercultural life for both the Romans and for the Jews. It is this same one who predicted his brutal murder by the hands of the wicked and sinful men. And all of it came to pass just as he said it would. He is the one who gave the disciples the idea of resurrection. They did not come up with it. He is the one that told them that he would be crucified and three days later he would rise again. They were struggling to believe it when he told it to them. And in this moment, they're struggling to believe the reality of it now. But one thing is clear. They didn't come up with this story. They did not make it up. Jesus came up with the idea. He told them what would happen, that it would happen. 
And if we're able to trust him in all these other ways, then certainly we're able to trust him in what he says about his resurrection. So you can believe in the resurrection, because not because the disciples tell you to, but because Jesus tells you to. We can take him at his word. But the third reason here of why we can believe the resurrection is that it was as unbelievable to them then as it is to us now. Look with me at verse 9 through 11. And returning, the women again, returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and uh, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women that were with them. They told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed to them to be an idle tale, and they did not believe them. The disciples did not believe the women when they told them that Jesus was no longer there. It's easy for us in our day to think, well, we are much more advanced. We're, we have much more wisdom and understanding. We have scientific methods and technology and all of these different things. And so it's, it's obvious that they would believe these myths and these stories and, and all these things that people can make up. They would believe it because they're not scientific. They don't know the things that we know. Certainly they would believe in myths and legends. They made up stories and, and talked about miracles and magic to explain things they didn't quite understand. They would believe these stories and they would tell others these stories and people would begin to believe these things. And this is just how they lived back then. They were simple-minded and they just believed these things because they didn't know any better. C.S. Lewis calls this chronological snobbery. What he means by that is that we have this, often have this belief that because we live now, that somehow we are better equipped to understand what reality is than those who came before us. If you think about just the arrogance of that, it is to say the people back then were clearly just dumber than we are. They're just easily duped by myths and legends. But we are smart. We are sophisticated. We are technologically advanced. So we know that death is really final. We know that when you were crucified by the Romans, you were really dead. And when you were really dead, you just don't come back from life. We know these things now. They didn't quite know these things then. But the problem with that is they knew very well that when the Romans executed you, you were dead. They knew it. They saw it firsthand. They witnessed it. They witnessed the most brutal form of execution that humanity has ever invented. Invented. Everyone knew that when the Romans killed you by crucifixion, you were dead. There wasn't sort of dead. There wasn't partially dead. There wasn't just passed out from lack of blood or whatever else. When you were crucified, you died. They knew that death was certain. And they also believed that you don't come back from the dead. But the second thing here is that for the first century Jew who believed that they had found the Messiah and now your Messiah has been crucified by the Romans, two things become painfully, quickly, and obviously true to you. Your Messiah is dead because nobody killed by the Romans survives. And if your Messiah is dead, then he can't be the Messiah. And this is the mindset and the mind frame of the disciples in this intermediate time. And so when the women are on their way back to the tomb on Sunday morning, they did not go looking for the, for an empty tomb. 
They did not go looking for a resurrected Christ. They did not on their way say to one another, well, we've prepared these ointments and spices, but we're probably not going to need them because Jesus is, is going to be resurrected. That's not what they're thinking. When they go to the tomb, they're expecting the same thing that we would have been expecting at the time, a cold, dead, lifeless body. That's what they were expecting to see when they went to the tomb. But that's not what happened. When they arrived to the tomb, they saw that the tomb was empty, that the stone had been rolled away, that the body was not there. And when they went back to report this to the apostles, they were just out, uh, uh, they were just dismissed in their whole story. It's not because they were dismissed because they were women. That's not why they were dismissed. These women had influence and they followed Jesus for years and they had influence among the disciples. It wasn't that they were being dismissed because the women were telling idle tales. It's because people who are brutally murdered through crucifixion don't come back to life. That's why they dismissed it. You're hallucinating. This didn't really happen. You're emotionally distraught and you're just, you're thinking you see things that aren't really happening. This is what, this is their response to the women. Nobody believed it. The disciples themselves did not believe in the resurrection. And yet, they became convinced of the resurrection of Jesus. They staked their entire life on it. And they began to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And most of them ended up dying as a result of the gospel. Not because they were gullible. Not because they were easily duped into myths and, and legends. Not because they were simple-minded and, and unscientific. But it's because they encountered the resurrected Jesus. And when that happened, their heart and their minds changed. And when we encounter the resurrected Jesus our heart and mind change. What we think is impossible and is a myth all of a sudden becomes a reality to us and we know it to be true. And so the resurrection is the greatest fact and the greatest event in all of human history, the most significant event that has ever taken place in human history. And we can believe it, but we also should want to believe it. We should want to believe the resurrection. The reason why we want to believe the resurrection is because the resurrection is far more than we think that it is. Look with me again in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went up from the, they went to the tomb taking spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone that was rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not see the body of the Lord Jesus. They were perplexed about this. Behold, two men stood before them in dazzling apparel, and they were frightened, and they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Almost everyone, the disciples at the time, to us now, Christian and non-Christian, misunderstand the resurrection and why it is such good news. On Easter morning, we have a tradition, most of us probably grew up in church, have a tradition where somebody says, He is risen, and everyone else says, Yeah, alright, so you know that tradition too. So we have this tradition that we, and we see this in the text, basically they're saying the same thing. But I wonder if we fully grasp the saying when we're talking, what we're saying when we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus. When we think about the resurrection, 
we think, at least I think often, is that Jesus died and then he came back from the dead. That he was crucified, he died, three days later he rose from the grave. That his body just kind of regenerated, reinvigorated, uh, and he, and it's just this miracle, this great miracle, much like when he called Lazarus out of the grave. Lazarus was dead, he spoke, and Lazarus came out of the grave. And so we think about the resurrection of Jesus in those terms, but I think when we do so, we limit the impact and the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. He didn't merely come back from the dead. It is far greater and more significant what he did in his resurrection. The resurrection of Christ does not simply mean that he came back. It means that he went through. The resurrection isn't merely that Jesus came back from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus means that he went through death. He came out on the other side of death, victorious over death. It's not simply that he came back to life. It's it's not that he cheated death. It is that Jesus destroyed death. That he put an end to it. That he went through death, beyond death into real life and eternal life. Resurrection isn't some uh, disembodied or re-energized corpse. Resurrection is a very real, physical, embodied, and forever reality in Christ. And why is this important? It's important because if Jesus isn't physically raised from the dead, then His death on the cross is useless. If he hasn't been raised, then the penalty for our sin has not been paid. If he wasn't raised, then our faith is useless and we are still dead in our sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, If Christ hasn't been raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And all those who have died believing in Jesus have perished. Have perished. But he has been risen. He didn't just die and rise again. He died and went through death. The resurrection of Jesus means that he is the only person in all of history that has done something uniquely different than anyone else. The resurrection of Jesus means that he has gone through death and he has come over or out of death, over victorious over death. And why is this good news? It's good news because if Jesus has gone through death, that means he's able to pull you through death also. It means that death has been defamed. That the grave is no longer the end of the road. That Jesus has busted a hole through the back of death and has walked out the other side into what He has provided for us, eternal life. And one day He will pull all of those who are His, including creation itself, through that and make all things new. He blew a hole through the back of death. It has no more power over those who are His. And so we should want to believe in the resurrection because it is far more than what we often think. In it and through it, Jesus makes all things new. And this is really good news because secondly, the resurrection means that the loss that you feel and the brokenness that you experience and the death that you experience isn't the end of the story. It's not the end of your story. Evil, injustice, death itself does not win in the end. Why do we experience death and decay? 
Why do we experience brokenness and suffering and injustice and hardship? Why do we experience these things now? We experience these things because of sin. Because of the universal reality of sin and its consequences, but also because of our own corrupt nature and our personal rebellion. The penalty of sin is death. And it feels like pain and sorrow and suffering and hardship feels like that's the norm. And it just increasingly is the reality personally and relationally and politically and historically and culturally and socially. And these things seem to be falling apart and decaying. And there's this curse of death that just covers everything. And when we look at our own circumstances and our own situation, our own context, and even to the world, we can't help but to look at it with discouragement and disappointment and even despair. Because our problems often become overwhelming and, and too much for us in times. And the problems of the world seem to be so complex and unable to be solved. And we try to fix one problem. And we, by fixing one problem, we seem to create another problem or a whole host of other problems. But in the resurrection... The resurrection means that death and evil and injustice and pain and sorrow and suffering will not have the last word. These things will not win. Jesus has gone through death, come out of death, and has made life possible. The resurrection means that there is a new world that is coming. It means that it's it's not the spiritual world where we're floating around in clouds, but it's a real and tangible and physical world where both the physical and the spiritual meet in harmony just as God intended it, where everything that is evil and all of its corruption and decay is eradicated, where every injustice is set right and every wrong is redeemed and every loss is restored and everything that is broken is renewed and every wound is healed and every sorrow is turned into joy. The resurrection is what compels us to continue to fight darkness with light, to bring, uh, to battle against despair, and to wage war against hopelessness, and to fight against injustices, and to crucify our own sinful desires, and to care for the poor and the destitute, and to open up our homes to those who are in need, and to sacrifice our time and our energy and our resources for the sake of others, and to live generously and compassionately, and to even travel to the most dangerous dangerous places in the world to preach and proclaim and demonstrate the gospel at the risk of your own life. Why is it that we do these things? We do it because of the resurrection. That's why we do it. The resurrection is the best and the greatest news of all time. And it is what compels us to live the way that we live, to live countercultural and to live counterintuitive. And it's absolutely beautiful because one day the first shall be last and the last will be first and the humble will be raised and the proud will be cast down. And one, th- one day Jesus will make all things new and set all things right as it should be. So we should believe in the resurrection because loss and brokenness and death is not the end of our story. It's not the end. Jesus has destroyed death. He is made, he's making all things new. But finally, we should believe in the resurrection or should want to believe in the resurrection because the resurrection in it, the pressure is off. And here's what I mean by all this. Do you realize that every world religion, every 
philosophy, every worldview, including secular humanism, insists that what matters most is the strength of your faith in the obedience to whatever religion, philosophy, or worldview that you hold to. Every worldview, every philosophy, every religion and religious system are all built on this same principle. In Islam, it's built on your submission to Allah and how, how much you will, are willing to submit. Buddhism, it is, it is working, uh, it is to work and to do to free yourself from your own desires. In Hinduism, it is your devotion and your meditation and your asceticism. In Judaism, it is your strict adherence to the law. In secular humanism, it is your ability uh, to make something of your life and not to mess, to mess it up. And they're all saying the same thing. Because at the end of the day, all of them put the pressure on you. You are the one that has to save yourself. Salvation, however you define it, is up to you. You build your identity and your significance and your worth is built on what you do. And therefore, there is no room for genuine honesty or, or weakness or struggle or failure. There's no room for neediness. But the gospel is not like that. The gospel is opposite of that. The gospel, in the gospel, salvation is not accomplished by you. It's accomplished by someone on your behalf. In his life and in his death and most supremely in his resurrection. What matters most as a disciple of Jesus is not your work, but his work. It's not your obedience, but his obedience. It's not your sacrifice, it's his sacrifice. It's not your devotion, it's his devotion. It's not your death, it's his death. And it's not your resurrection, it is his resurrection. You don't have to overcome all your weaknesses. You don't have to overcome and defeat all your sin. You don't, you don't have to be victorious over every temptation. You don't have to conquer death itself. Why? Because someone has already done that and accomplished all these things in your place on your behalf. The penalty of sin is death, but Jesus paid the price of your sin on your behalf in His, in His resurrection. He has destroyed death. And this is what faith is. Faith is setting, setting the, uh, shifting the weight of our life off of our own work and our own efforts and our own ability and our own strength and placing and resting in Him and His work and His effort and His ability and His strength. And when we do that and as we do that, our life is transformed. It is transformed. So we can take a deep breath. We can Learn to relax our life into His self-sacrificing love. And we can see His life and His death and His resurrection and see His work as what defines our identity, what defines our worth, what defines our reality and our purpose in our eternity. And how do we do that? We start by being honest about our weaknesses and our sin. Not in a self-loathing or self-condemning way, but just in a truthful way. And we confess our sin and our need. And we bring this to a Savior who is alive and who says to each of us, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. For everyone who asks receives. So keep on asking, Jesus says. And everyone who, who knocks 
or seeks will find. So keep on seeking, Jesus says. And everyone who knocks, the door will be open. So keep on knocking. So we can believe in the resurrection. Because it, it is a historical event that continues to change lives. The resurrection is Jesus' idea. And He is completely trustworthy. And it was just as unbelievable back then as it is now. And yet, everyone who encounters the resurrected Christ, their life is changed and altered forever. So we can believe in the resurrection. But we should also want to believe in it. Because in it, Jesus does far more than we could ever imagine. He went through death. Destroyed death. Which means that our loss and our brokenness and the pains and the death that we feel and experience now is not the end of your story. And it's not what defines you. Because Jesus will make all things new, including us. And so the pressure's off. Which means that we can hope for a better day. We can live this life now with all of the brokenness with an assurance that Jesus not only went through death, but that He will pull us through death with Him as well. Because our Savior is alive, He is no longer in the grave. He is risen. He is risen. I know that throws you off because it's not Easter Sunday. Let's pray. Father, we come before You this morning. We come knowing that we are often struggling. That we are sinners. That we are sufferers in many ways. And so we come to you this morning as people in need of rescue. In need of someone who has gone through death for us on our behalf. Who has destroyed the power of death. Who has solidified the penalty paid for death for our sins. And so this morning we gather and we confess that we are a people in deep need of you and gratitude for all that you are and who you are. And so we say thank you. Thank you for rescuing us, for redeeming us, for restoring us. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son. Jesus willingly came and endured the cross on our behalf and He busted through the back of death and is alive and has prepared the way for us. He has prepared the way. And so God, help us to set our mind and our heart and our eyes on Christ. To set our hope on Him. To keep pressing, to keep going because of who He is and what He has done. Help us to rest in your finished work and to know the power of your resurrection this morning, we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, as we uh, spend time and reflect on the resurrection this morning, we do so every week through communion. And in communion, we have the opportunity to be reminded.